Turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to be in there. I'm not going to start there, but we're going to be there soon enough. And so you'll want to get your devices on or get ready to uh, look at that in your Word. doesn't matter what version we'll be uh, going through. Uh, what you have would be great. We are continuing with uh, evangelism, maturity, and community. And we're getting great reports with our groups that are meeting and the discussion that's taking place. Uh, last week there was homework to uh, get ready for uh, sharing a testimony that should be happening this coming week. And I'm hearing like people are having, really enjoying it. It's been encouraging. Evangelism, or really that's a fancy word for saying we're going to share Jesus, is so important and we've recognized that. Um, as I was preparing, you know, God spoke a word that was very clear that we're to persevere and attack darkness. And we're doing that through all of these events. But God also reminded me of something that was spoken, that we're, we're to increase our visibility. And we are doing that. And I was thinking, Lord, we are, as really his reminder, we are doing that by going into the elementary school. We are doing that by helping to feed children. We're doing that by going into our community. We're doing that by ministering with our Royal Rangers, by our Sunday School program, by our outreach in a number of other areas that are taking place. And we're doing that by creating this focus of sharing, by simply getting out there and being a representative of Jesus. We are increasing our visibility. Philippians tells us, let me, let me read the whole section here. I'm going to start at verse 14. That's just one slice of it. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Now that, that's, that's a word to the church. Philippians, this letter to the Philippian church. And, and there's a reason why, because here's what this is saying, is that in order for us to do what I'm about to say, there needs to come to an end to the complaining and disputing in the church. Because there's nothing more distracting than when we're complaining and disputing among ourselves. Can you say amen to that? So there's something very clear there. And then it goes on and says that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault. And look what it says. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So what the saying is we are surrounded, we live in a world that is challenging. And if we want to do what this is about to say then we need, we need to not be like the world. And so a lot of the world complains and disputes. You know, there, there's a lot of things that are going on. So then the words are spoken. It says, let me go backwards a little bit, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you, and there it is, shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. And literally what this is imaging was, Really, that, that moment when you would look up at the sky. And can you imagine back then, they had no lights. There was no city lights. There was no, if you will, uh, visual pollution. And at night, when, the, when the, the stars came out, it was absolutely brilliant. Have you ever been like about 10,000 feet on a mountain pass? And you go and you just look at the stars and they are just absolutely amazing, right? I've been there, I've seen that. I've been there where the, the moon was full at 10,000 feet, and, and it, it wakes you up because I still remember, you know, waking Lois up. We were in our tent, and there we were about 10, and I thought, there is a spotlight on us right now. 
I mean, someone's out there, and we went out, and the moon was so brilliant that it woke us up. I mean, it's, it's an amazing to get to that place where you don't have the pollution of lights and everything. That's what this is saying, is that we would be that brilliant in the world around us, that we would shine as lights in the world. And so you and I have a mission. I want to remind you, our mission is we are continuing to build a healthy community. We are continuing to saturate this community around us with the love of God. You know, it is our commitment to bring people, which I'm going to call pre-Christians, people who don't yet know Jesus is our Savior. You know what? I want to fill these seats with people who are looking, searching, discovering who Jesus is. I don't want to fill these seats with people who are transferred from other places. I really don't. I mean, I don't, that is not our goal. Our goal is to reach out, because we learned last week there are thousands and thousands of people who need the message of Jesus. And our job is to share and bring them in. Look what it says. Again, Jesus was talking back, uh, obviously, in the time in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. And here was a time when he was speaking. I mean, it could have been today. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is so great, right? He's talking about Kitsap County, right? We learned that only about 8% actually attend church in, in this region where we are. If you look at the whole peninsula, about 8%. That means there's 92% of the rest of the population that aren't involved in church, that, that are not you know, evangelical believers. We, we looked at that. And he says, the harvest is so great, but the workers are so few. And that's true. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and send and ask him to send out more workers for his field. So last week, you remember we talked about, we got to get out and share. We do care. We care about people. We, we talked about and addressed the fact of there is a hell. There is a heaven. And, and so we need to get out there and, and communicate the message. Again, look at 1 Peter. Again, another powerful statement written to the church back in this time of the New Testament 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Listen to this. But the end of all things is at hand. Doesn't it feel like that way every now and then? Like you hear the story of earthquakes? <laughs> I mean, you kind of... Have you looked at a map of the earthquakes? I mean, it's just kind of moving. It's really kind of crazy. You can, you can go online and look at this. It's really interesting. It says, Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Here, we're just singing about that. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to each other without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, here it is, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, God has given you some pretty amazing gifts. God has given you skills. God has given us the ability to, be, to have a sense of hospitality with one another, to be welcoming and all those things. And it's saying, if there ever was a time to be that way, now is the time. And we need to do this together. Can you say amen to that? So how are we going to do this? Well, it's really not complicated stuff. I mean, it, it, I don't know that we need to make this difficult or complex. The Word of God tells us really simple. Get out and share. Share your testimony. Talk about your story. Uh, invite people into, in, into an environment like this or a small group. We recognize that one of the critical ways that we can be unbelievably successful is in our small groups. You know, small groups are absolutely amazing. When you get involved in a small group, 
You know, I see this as a critical focus if we're going to walk together. If we're going to be successful dealing with a perverse and crooked generation, if we're going to be able to shine as lights in the sky, if you will, then we've got to do this together. There's just no other way to do it. God said this is the best way to do it. Now, why? Well, because you get a great support system. I mean, we have it on our wall that we're about relationships. You know, that, that stuff on the wall is there because it's important. Would you just go ahead and look over there to your, to your right, right there? It says relationship integration, service, and commitments. Sometimes those become invisible because they're there. I think every now and then I need to maybe lower them or hire them for you. But that one is so important to us. Those are our core values. We believe in that. Matter of fact, if you look over here on this wall, you see these cool, these are the directions we've gone over the last 10 years, series that we have spoken to reinforce our core values. We're doing it right now. Evangelism, maturity, community. And so we recognize how very important, so a support, you know, I was talking with someone the other day, and they were struggling. And they were saying, man, I, I, I'm going through all this, and I think what they wanted was they wanted me to bring around them a, a group of people. So I asked them, I said, okay, you know, I, I hear what you're going through. And so my next question was, guess what? Are you part of a small group? The answer was no. I said, wow, that's where this could really happen. And here's something that I want you to reflect on. When someone does things like that and is unwilling to, to move into this environment, here's kind of and I'm not saying this person was being this way, but I see people sometimes not doing what God's instructed us. And then they get in these kind of crazy moments and they're struggling and they're not, they haven't gotten in the small group, they haven't done the things we're talking about, but now they want the church to rescue them. And here's what I see, is they want to be the center of all things. That's kind of a self-centered, really, action on their part. Because here's the expectation is, well, I'm in trouble now, so come and rescue me. Rather than get involved in a small group, and because and, I'm going to tell you, when I, I have seen more amazing things happen with small groups. I mean, not that it was intended. Yesterday was a great example. Wade and Dina got married. Can you see a minute of that? Oh, we're excited about that, and it was a great wedding. We had, and here's what I love about it, is literally about, a, I, I would say at least a half a dozen small groups got together and shared in the development and the putting together of this this wedding i was talking to dean whose dad and i said well how many people you think have been involved and he said over 50 people just to help bring about and i heard that and my i felt really good i felt joy thinking that is so cool because that's what the church is about a whole bunch of us getting together to bring about a celebration for a family member for someone we care about and we love, and to do that and have that time together, that would not have happened. See, here's what happens. When you don't have this kind of community, you go out and bid for low services, and you pay thousands of dollars for someone to do that kind of stuff. And there are people making, you realize, man, I should have gone into the wedding business. <laughs> I missed it. A multi-billion dollar industry. I mean, when you think about the services provided, I mean, yes to the dress is the most expensive part, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But you begin to look at all the parts that go into something like this. Man, to be able to come together as a community. I love when that happens. 
Because that's what, there's an example of what can happen, and, and in a fun way, in a, in a celebratory way, but it's also going to happen when we go through some of those tough moments. We serve one another. We serve our community, obviously the elementary school. Uh, we're growing healthy relationships. And when you do that, then I tell you, life in Jesus becomes a lot better. I am convinced if you and I will commit ourselves to what God is laying out and the word he's spoken to us, I think our future is absolutely unbelievable. We are positioned as a church in a way that I have seldom seen us. We are in an amazing place right now to do an amazing thing on this peninsula. Can you see a minute of that? I, I just can't tell you, we, the salvations that are taking place, healings that are happening, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's taking place, the community that's being built, the sharing of God's love. I mean, there is so many amazing things going on around us. If we can just stay on target and don't get off this road, I'm going to tell you what, we can have an influence and an impact in a way that we have... I don't think you could imagine what could take place on this peninsula with lives around us. I've got to tell you something. I, I hunger to see you and I do what God's called us to do. And God's called us to be part of an army. God's called us to be part of a team in doing this. Someday we're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. You know, when I stand before the Lord, I want to be able to say, God, I gave it my own. I gave it 100% uh, almost every day. And then I want to say, God, thank you for your grace when I didn't do so good. <laughs> Can you say amen to that? <laughs> and to begin to realize that there's something that's happening in the church today. Let me kind of frame it this way in a military term. Do you know what I see a lot of times is I see the church functioning often like a reserved unit. We, you ever heard the term weekend warriors? Right? Well, I got to tell you something. I've done both active duty and reserve, and there's no such thing as a weekend warrior. Because you can be called up anytime. You're available 24 7. You really, I recognize when, when I was on reserve or active duty, I was on all the time as, a, as someone who was serving in the United States military. And, uh, and there were times when I got the phone call We need you. Can you come in? Sure. We need to deploy you. Will you go? Sure. And, and those kinds of things happen as being a part of something that is far bigger than you. Let me tell you something. Being part of God's army is not a reserve. It's full-time active duty. Can you say amen to that? But yet we live like it's something different. I want to challenge you to begin to see what God's calling us to do. I'm convinced that Number one, small groups are critical. I want you to walk out of here thinking, wow, pastor's really laying it on about small groups. Absolutely. And then I want to talk about something else. If we're going to be effective in sharing Jesus, it's going to be a little bit challenging for some of you. If we're going to be effective in our sharing of the Lord, then we also need to deal with our sin. There's something about an understanding. And, and here's something that I'm concerned about, is that we have started to avoid dealing with sin. I'm hearing the words and the conversation that is trying to minimize, reduce, sterilize the idea of sin and how very important it is. If you look again at Romans chapter 1, it begins, and it's so very powerful, 
starting at verse 18. Romans is a scary book. I got to tell you, if you have not been, we've done a number of series here on Romans. I was going through just these first couple chapters thinking, we need to do Romans again. I love Romans. I think it's uh, not an easy book, but it's a very powerful book. And if you ever wanted to read the uh, New Testament newspaper about today, well, here you go, Romans. That just talks about right now. Look at verse 18, whatever your version is. It says, but God shows his, shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. There's a lot of that going on. You know, I, I see us afraid of the truth. And, and even more so, here's what I see. Let me frame it this way. I see us embarrassed by the truth. I am convinced a lot of us are fearful and embarrassed of the truth of what's going on in our lives because here's what we fear more than anything else. We fear, number one, that if the truth came out, people might not love me. They might not accept me. Number two, God might not love me and might not accept me. And I got to tell you, I am here to try to blow that apart. Let, let, me, let me equalize things here. Let me make something very clear. Everyone in this room is a sinner. You are sitting next to a sinner right now. And even though you're married, I know you think they're perfect, they are still sinners. Can you say amen to that? Amen, gentlemen, right? Okay. <laughs> Your wives are perfect. We're not. <laughs> I'm kidding. Look what it says. It says, they push the truth away from themselves. It goes on, verse 19. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky and all that God has made, and they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, so they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. So here's the deal. You get out there and you look around at nature and you see, the, you see what God has created, your response is, wow, there's got to be something beyond what we have, could ever know. You know, I get down, I love getting out of the water, I love diving, you get in, you see the amazing world there, and there's just this moment when you see what God has created, and you go, wow, there is a, there is a creator involved. You get up at 10,000 feet, and, and it's a night sky, and it's absolutely brilliant. Your response has to be, wow, there is a God. You know, you look at this passage, i got to tell you, if anyone says, well, what about those poor people and those hidden tribes deep in the Amazon jungles? This is the passage you refer them to that says, you know what, they're without excuse. We know of many, many hidden peoples that have discovered the truth of God's Word just by where they live. There's been studies done, books written, articles that have been published that affirm the fact that they have discovered, there's a great book called Peace Child. You haven't read that by Richardson, one of those old, he's a missionary. But there's just one example that testifies to the fact that we are without excuse. That all you have to do is look around. And all of a sudden you begin to see what's going on. But we struggle with sin. Look at it, it goes on, verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God. Or, or even give Him thanks. They began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. The result, of, the result was that their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools instead. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, 
They worshipped idols made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and snakes. There was an irrationality that developed that exists today. I mean, can you imagine they knew, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks? That's irrational. I mean, to think about what's going on, you look at the world today, and don't we see people worshiping all kinds of other things rather than God? I mean, to me, it's irrational to elevate animals beyond human beings. You know what? I love my dog. My dog is an amazing dog. But I want you to hear the truth of it. She is a dog. And she does dog things. She is not human. As much as I want to see human emotion and I want to feel like she talks to me and, and I, I say words like, don't you love me and all that. The fact of it is, I feed her. <laughs> and if you fed her like I fed her, she would love you too. <laughs> it's a dog. <laughs> but how crazy it is that we live in a world that gives more rights to animals than human beings. There's something irrational about that. How is it that we would worship creation and not the creator? I mean, people worship trees and the outdoors and all kinds of things, and, and, and they do that even in terms of the behavior. That's irrational. Why would you worship something that was created by somebody else? And yet we get ourselves trapped in this kind of life and this kind of living. And, and here in Romans, it's being addressed. We see it on the TV. We see it in the Internet. We see it in our movies. We see it in our music. It is all around what is taking place right here, starting at verse 21. And you go on verse 25, you see there's deception. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. So they worshiped the things God made, but not the creator himself, who is to be praised forever. Amen. I mean, talk about deception. To think that these things are more important than the creator. To honor something that was created by the Lord of the entire universe and not to acknowledge the Lord of the entire universe, that is your deceit. And that's sin. The Word of God says, you're not just misunderstanding something. You're not just, like, not getting the point. You are now involved in sin. Now, that's much stronger, isn't it? This is going to be, I'm telling you now, I'm going to get challenging here. Look what it goes, let me, let me just read this. Look at verse 26. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. As a result, suffered within themselves the penalty they so richly deserve. I mean, now, we're talking about something that is very challenging today in the world we live in. Obviously, this is making it very clear, homosexuality, that kind of sexual behavior, is wrong. Matter of fact, it's talking about a lot of anything outside of a marriage relationship and having sex within marriage is just simply wrong. But we live in a world today that is totally confusing this thing right now. I was talking to someone and we were dealing with a point of confession. You know, confession is something that is really challenging to people today. 
And I'll tell you the number one reason is because of shame and embarrassment. Shame is such a powerful, powerful emotion. I don't think we talk enough about it. But often what happens is that I, I have met and talked with people who have done some very bad things. And they'll come and they're looking for some help. They're looking to get better. I, I would hope that would be true. And I'll say something like, well, you're not going to get better until we talk about this. And you say it and you speak the words. Because there's something about, there's a, listen, there's a huge difference between what's going on in your head and what you speak with your mouth. God created us to speak with our mouth, hear it with our ears. It changes the ballgame. I've had more people who I know are doing really bad things in their head, they're, or they're keeping their behaviors in their head, they're keeping their thoughts in their head, but the ballgame changes the minute they start speaking it. You know how God created you? See, God gave you this amazing brain. God created this brain. It has a right and left side. And there's something about when you just think about something that's sinful and you just hold it in your thoughts, you're really only using part of your brain. And that part isn't as connected to the emotional piece of, of how God created us. But here's what happens. The dynamic is absolutely amazing. That when all of a sudden you cognitively think about that sin, you speak it and you formulate and you use if you will, how God designed us to formulate the words, you say the words, and then you hear the words, there's an auditory response, all of a sudden, something, and then you look at someone, and you see them as you're saying it, so now your eyes are seeing something, your mouth is speaking, your ears are hearing, and all of a sudden, your whole brain now becomes involved, and here's what happens. God created us this way. It becomes powerful. It becomes emotional. It becomes real. And that's when we do what God wants us to do. We connect with what we've done. That's why we cry. That's why we, we sort of feel like we're falling apart. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes in and does some of its best work. Let me tell you something. It's not going to happen until that can happen. But too many of us are hiding it inside of our heads. And that's kind of what this word is talking about. I mean, obviously we can talk about sexual sin. And I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I want to talk about the shame of sin. When you hold it and you don't deal with it, listen, you understand what I'm saying. You and I are not going to be effective in sharing Jesus if we don't deal with the, what's inside of us first. How is it that we can go and share with people when we are doing things, thinking things, saying things that are just totally contrary to what God's called us to live, speak, and do. Shame is something that just really stinks up the soul. It affects deep inside of us. The other day I was um, going to have some cereal and I uh, pulled out our milk container and I, I know if you're like me, I'm going to use the very last drop. Can you see a minute of that? I, I just, I got to get the whole thing emptied. But I've learned over my years of experience and wisdom to smell the milk first. Because yeah. <laughs> every now and then, whoa, it gets spoiled like this is spoiled. And you know what spoiled milk? You know, spoiled milk has a very distinctive smell doesn't it? It is really gross. And the thought of drinking it, 
Oh, I would have been so sick. And that's what shame is, spoiled milk. But it's in your soul. So the Word of God is directing us to come to terms and to deal with this and to call it what it is. Okay, now listen, church. It's sin. Here's how we want to talk about it. It's not sin. It's just an error in judgment. It's not sin. It's a mistake I made. It's not sin. It's, well, I'm human. I'm not perfect. Is anyone perfect? I've heard Pastor Steve, he reinforces back. Nobody is perfect. Well, I'm one of those imperfect people, and I did an imperfect thing, so I guess, you know, that's it. What can I say? Give me grace. And we began to use a language and a conversation, and I've been there with people who have tried to do an end run around the reality of the sin And here's what happens when you don't deal with it and confront it directly, it becomes spoiled milk in you. Because it's not just an error in judgment. It's not just a mistake. It is sin. And God has called it such. You have created an adversarial relationship with God by your actions. You have put yourself in a position that is in a deadly position. That's why we're reading this passage. It tells us that the results are deadly. And so you, you and I need to become clear in what's taking place and understand what's really happening. And here's the amazing thing. In the midst of all that, God says, I do love you. I will forgive you. But here's the point. If you're not willing to come clean, how can I really love you? How can I really forgive you? Because you're still keeping it inside of you. See, that's when you discover the reality of God's grace. When you finally are willing to come clean and talk about what's really going on and to be honest and genuine and open. I have seen, I have seen more amazing things happen because the truth is spoken. I was part of something the other day where I had a wife who, their mar- this marriage wasn't doing so great and she said to her husband, um, you know, I, uh, I just want the truth. I am willing, I am willing to work on this marriage if you will just speak the truth. But I don't want any more lies. I don't want any more excuses. I, I want you to be 100% with me. And, he, and I, could, I could see it in his head. I don't believe you, dear. Because if I tell you what I've really done, you're going out the door. I would rather hide this than risk losing you because I'm totally convinced that if I tell the truth and give it 100%, you're going out the door. So we talked about that. I said to her, well, suppose he says, what would be the worst thing that could happen? And she said, well, I I guess, I already know he's had an affair. I guess there'd be more than one affair. Maybe there'd be 20 affairs. I don't know. And I said, well, suppose that were true. What are you going to do? I told you, I'm going to work on this. As long as, he's going to, as long as he speaks the truth and stops, that today it ends. You know what? I'm willing. And she was honest. She says, I, I'm 90% there. But I don't, know what, I don't know what he's going to say. And you've ever watched someone squ- just squirm and, and move and just 
kind of get contorted inside their soul. This was the husband. Because I knew what was going on. So we talked again, and I talked to the husband. I said, listen, you heard what you, what do you think about that? Oh, he was struggling. He, and, and, and his words were, I haven't done anything anyway. I looked at him and said, man, I, I really care about you. You're lying. I'm not lying. How dare you say, no, sir, I know you. I'm a lie detector. <laughs> You're lying. <laughs> Let's start now. And he did. Finally, after, I mean, it took a while, he finally said, yeah, yeah, I did do this, and I did that, and I did that, and I did that, and I did that. So he sort of practiced on me. And we brought the wife in. And he confessed. And he confessed all five of the affairs that had taken place. It took him two hours to share that. And she sat there and listened. And we got all done. Here's the end of it. She looked at him and said, I am going to work on this marriage. You're out of the bedroom. And we'll, we'll talk about how we're going to make this get better. And, you know, they're getting help and all that. But you know what? Thank you for telling me the truth. I wanted the truth. You spoke the truth. Now let's make this thing right. <sighs> this guy just started bawling. He, he, and, and he deservedly so. I mean, the, the tension was so thick. I mean, it was so powerful. And here are two people that are believers. Here's the crazy part. They're believers. They, they don't go to this church, but they go to church. They serve in a church. They, they, they will tell you they love Jesus. And he's doing these things. Now, she's not perfect either, but she's not doing that. But you get what I'm saying? We hide and here the Word of God is saying, if we're going to be effective, see, when I saw that happen, I get a chance to see this down the road now. Things are getting better. This marriage is going to survive. Can you say amen to that? That's exciting. A lot of hard work. But here's the point. Now, and let me qualify. Does it happen that way all the time? No. That's just one good example. I can share a couple examples with you, just so you know it's balanced, where it's like the truth came out, they're done. That happens. That's part of the risk you take, that's part of what happens, but the fact is that if you and I don't even, because here's, let me tell you, by not saying anything, those relations were done anyway. It just was going to take a little bit longer for them to be done. Because you can't live that way for a really long time without it eventually coming out. I've done this way too long. I know what happens. I see it all the time. And eventually, the truth will bubble up to the surface. And it'll be known. So here, what is taking place now is this ability that we can deal with the shame, with the deception, with the irrationality. But if we don't, here's what happens. Look at verse 29. So here's what happens when you ignore all this stuff. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. In other words, everything got spoiled big time. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, 
fighting, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They are forever inventing ways of sinning and are disobedient to their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, uh, and are heartless and unforgiving. And they're fully aware of God's death penalty for those who do these things. This is so sad, yet they go ahead, they go right ahead and do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. That's where you're going. By not dealing with it and just getting to the core of this stuff, it's, here's what I'm telling you, it's going to get worse. It doesn't get better. Hiding this stuff doesn't work. And God wants you and I to deal with this stuff. Can you say amen to that? This is challenging, isn't it? I know how you feel. See, I've been studying this for weeks. God challenged me about even, I mean, even in my own life. Let me tell you something. Being a pastor is a really bum deal. Because you know what I've learned? God deals with you first. See, I'm, I'm going to share all this with you, and God says, yeah, you're going first, Steve. <laughs> you know what? If I had known that earlier on... <laughs> I think I would have done something else. No one warned me that I would have to deal with this first before I got a chance to say anything to anybody. They never taught that in college or in graduate school. They just kind of let us merrily walk through all this training, and no one ever stopped and said, oh, by the way, you're going to be first on the firing line. You know, this is, this is something that I accept because I want us to do better. I really want us to do better. I, I hope you get the picture from me. I'm not here to play games with you. I'm not here to, to you know, be entertainment or to, to do something that uh, you know, creates a club or something. I am here for you and I to grow a real church with real people who love Jesus and who understand what it means to deal with life, who understand God's love and grace and forgiveness. So the warning here is we're talking about it just gets worse. And then look at, look at chapter 2, verse. Let me just finish with, with those last five verses. And you may be saying what terrible people you've been talking about, but you're just as bad and you have no excuse. There you go. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself, for you do these very same things. And we know that God, in his justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and not judge you when you do them too? How many of us vote we take that out? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. So we want to go ahead and let the world around us know, hey, you know what, you're not living well. Well, guess what? We go first. And I, I am convinced, I'm going to say something challenging, I am convinced one of the reasons we're not effective any longer, I'm not talking about just us, but the church across the board, is because we have worked over time at minimizing the reality of sin and the confession and repentance and confrontation of it. We are now living in a world and in a church world that's doing everything it can to just whitewash sin. I can't tell you how often I have heard the words that I shared with you already. I just made a mistake. As if to say, this isn't that big of a deal. Look what it says. It goes on. This has got to finish this up. It says, okay, do you realize how kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? 
Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? But no, you won't listen. So you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. God's calling us to be real. Doesn't matter how old you are. Listen, I realize that I'm, I'm addressing right now some of you who've been a believer for a long time. I'm talking to you. I've been a believer probably longer than most of you. Fortunately, some of you have been believers longer than me. Praise God. Some of you haven't. All of us are involved in this conversation. Don't sit here and think somehow it doesn't count. If you're a pastor, it counts. If you're a leader, it counts. If you're a worker, it counts. If you're just someone who sits, it counts. If you're not walking with Jesus, it really counts. Because here's where we're going to be with all this. You're going to be thinking, well, wow, what am I going to do? This seems overwhelming and impossible. Well, that's, then God got you where he wants you. Because that's exactly where we ought to be. Because the only way that we're going to deal with this is with Jesus. With the Spirit of God. With each other. See, that's why, they, again, that's why these small groups are so valuable, because then we can help each other. Every one of us struggles with something. We already defined that earlier. I told you, you're sitting next to a sinner. So, how valuable is it to have someone in our life who is able to speak into our life and help us? You know what? If you're feeling judgmental, don't be judgmental. That's what the word just said. You've got to be very careful because you've got to watch your attitude. And if you're sitting here and thinking that this doesn't count or this doesn't apply to you, remember, I'm a lie detector. And you're lying. That's not truthful. Every one of us is being addressed here right now. This is a word from God that says, I am, God is speaking here to help us understand. God wants us to win. God wants us to be effective and powerful where we live. You know, it's interesting, in Luke 18, there's this amazing moment with a sinner. His name is Zacharias. And he stands there and he says to the Lord in Luke 19, verse 8, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have overcharged people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. So let me tell you what's going on. This guy has confessed sin. He has lied. He has stolen. He has cheated. He has injured people. That's why he's saying what he is. He is talking about restitution because of what he's done. There's no question what he's done. Zacharias has done some bad things. Now I want you to see, because of his acknowledgement, and in a sense, he's just made confession. He has just said, yeah, I've done some bad things. Look at Jesus' response. Look at his response. Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham. And look what Jesus said then. This is so cool. And I, the son of man, I, who is the only begotten son of God, have come to seek and save those like him who are lost. So that's us. But you see how salvation has come because there's a willingness to really address this. 
There's a willingness to confess it. There's a willingness to repent. There's a willingness to do what's right now and to no longer hide it inside our head, to not hide it in our homes, but to recognize how vitally important it is that we come clean with God. I really want to see you guys get better. I want to see you and I be healthy, vibrant. I want to see us moving in the name of Jesus. But you have to understand something when you walk out of here. Number one, you really need to be in a small group. Number two, you need to deal with sin. Because if you keep ignoring it, like spoiled milk, it is going to sour your soul. And I'll tell you what, that's not what you want. We are not going to do this well. And if you ever wonder, why is it I'm not effective in sharing? Well, maybe this is the reason. Because sharing isn't about being a great communicator. Sharing is about being a believer in Jesus. Knowing the living God. Knowing of his grace. Knowing of his love and forgiveness. Knowing that even in your worst, God still loves you. So I'm going to give you homework. We're not going to deal with this in five minutes. I'm not going to even try. But I want to give you a homework assignment. I want you to go home and talk to Jesus. I want you to find time rather than escaping from the truth take time to face the truth. See, some of us, we, we do a good job on Sundays. See, we get out of here and we've got things to do. We've got chores to do, things to fix, shopping to go to, dinner to get ready, kids to get ready for the week, and we are so busy, there isn't time to deal with this. I understand how easy it is to just kind of fill up a day. Listen. Here's your homework assignment. Carve out some time with Jesus. And take some time, because here's how you handle this. You and Jesus. It's the best thing you could do. This is one of the things, I can't do this for you, and I'm not going to do this for you. This is something you do with the Lord, and if you choose not to do it, you have been warned. You know what the consequences are. But man, let me encourage you. And, and listen, you can't let your, this is not something that your spouse is going to do for you or your kids are going to do for you. This is, let me use me, this is a Steve and Jesus moment. I need time with Jesus. It's the only way to go. Can you say amen to that? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that we can hear this challenging word and I pray be encouraged and yes, challenged. Challenged by the truth of what needs to happen. Challenged by the reality of, of sin. I pray God that um, real work will happen. I pray God you'll remove fear. I pray that people will know, everyone here in this room will know, you really love us. 
You already know what we've done. But I pray, God, that today, every one of us here in this sanctuary will be able to spend time with you, a little time with you, get things right. Lord, we understand what you've called us to do. We want to do that well. We, Lord, we want to share who you are with the world around us. And we want to be effective. We really do care about people. But Lord, help us to first face ourselves. Lord, it's clear. With you, it's possible. Without you, it's impossible. And I pray for that one person here who doesn't know you yet, who is not walking with you. I pray that in these next moments, with an open door in front of them, they'll walk through to receive you as Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, for salvation. I pray for that person here who has gotten so far away. I pray they'll come home. They'll come home to be with you, Jesus. Again, with your heads bowed. Is there so much distance that you can hardly even see Jesus right now? When you look out what's in front of you. I invite you to come home. I invite you to start walking forward to Jesus. I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray that you can just come home to be with the Lord. And if this is who you are at this point in time, let's pray. Heads are bowed. It's a moment of privacy. But I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm, I'm at a distance with the Lord and I, I need to come home. Let's pray, Pastor. Just raise your hand. We're going to pray. Leave your hand up. His hands are going up. Praise God. Praise God. All right. Lord, I want to thank you. As these hands are raised, this is a homecoming prayer that for Lee's who have raised their hand, that this is a moment that they start walking back towards you. That whatever has pulled them away, I pray it'll come to an end. I pray, Lord God, that whatever they've been facing, the distractions, the things that have been weighing them down, that have held them back, I pray they're removed in the name of Jesus. 
And I pray that for these who have lifted their hands. Lord, the weight is lifted. And they're able to now get up and walk back towards you. And today that journey starts. It happens right now. Do you need to receive Jesus as your Savior? This is a second different call. And if you're here today and you have not received Jesus as your Savior, you would not know that you would go to heaven, that you don't understand the assurance of, of, of being with Jesus. I want you and I to pray. That's why we're here. I'm going to invite you to just raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're saying, yep, I need that assurance. I need to come to Jesus as my Savior. Just raise your hand. We're going to pray. I'm not going to be embarrassed. All you're going to do is raise your hand, and we're going to pray. It starts. There's a first step. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and for the amazing ministry that takes place that draws us back to you, that brings us to this place, Lord God, of knowing you and now living as you've called us to. You, Lord God, came to seek and save us. I pray, Lord, for amazing transformation because it's our desire to love you, to worship you. So Lord, thank you for what you're doing here today. In your name we pray. Amen, church.